A reading from Proverbs 8, 1 through 21. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gate in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, to you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers, rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice gold and silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, as we come now to your word, we ask that um, we may uh, not merely speak of abstract ideas, but that we may know you. And uh, that's always our prayer. So will you do that in us? Will you grant us to learn and thereby to know you. So do whatever it takes to get that done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, it would be helpful if you would turn back to uh, page 9 in your service sheets. We're continuing a series in the book of Proverbs. Um, every single week in Proverbs, we are trying to understand a little bit more clearly what Proverbs means. This Old Testament book written hundreds of years even before Jesus uh, was here, what Proverbs means when it talks about the wisdom of God. Uh, we want to grow up, we've been saying, before we grow old. And Proverbs helps us do that by teaching us about wisdom. And in this uh, part of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, we're really kind of giving, getting to the theological heart of the matter. Uh, this passage and then the passage that comes next in particular uh, are, are some of the most profound and, and deepest passages uh, that, that are in the book of Proverbs. Um, they're on the short list of some of the most significant passages in the Bible. We're only going to scratch the surface of it, but we're going to look at that today. Um, 
it's kind of as a way in. One of, one of my favorite books uh, some of you will have read is by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce, if you're aware of it, and a lot of us won't be. Um, but it is a fictitious story about a, uh, a field trip, it's kind of fun, a field trip from hell to heaven. Um, a bunch of uh, ghosts in hell get to, I mean, uh, they don't get out much, so they, they get to go uh, on, a, on a bus ride, let, uh, a bus ride to the, at least the outskirts of heaven. And there on the outskirts of heaven, they get to have some conversations. They, the, the ghosts from hell get to converse with some of the friends that they knew during life who, uh, who ended up in heaven. And, and in the course of these conversations, there's a lot of insight. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Well, one of the conversations is between an Anglican bishop and a friend of his. And uh, the, the bishop is a resident um, of, of hell, um, which is awkward. And, and his friend that he's talking to is, is, is a resident of heaven, and they had been friends in life. And they talk about the nature of God and the nature of truth. Um, and the bishop is a, a very, very clever man, a great uh, accomplished theologian in his life. And for him, truth and God, what we might call wisdom, uh, is really a matter of, of opinion. Uh, so the bishop wants to, he wants to think about ideas, he wants to swap views with his friend, kind of have a, a little bit of a theological and uh, intellectual sparring match, he wants to critique one another's perspective, but for him it's all about uh, pursuing abstract insight. That's the thing that really excites him. The pleasure is in the pursuit. On the other hand, his friend, the resident of heaven, relates to truth in a fundamentally different way. Uh, it's, it's not that his friend is less intelligent. In fact, it's clear from their conversation that, that, that the friend in, in heaven is, is a much clearer thinker. However, he relates to truth in a, in a very fundamentally different way. Let me, let me just read what he says. Speaking to the bishop, he says this. Up until now, bishop, you have experienced truth only with the abstract intellect. But I will bring you where you shall taste it like honey and be embraced by it as by a bridegroom, and there and then your thirst shall be quenched. Now, catch that there, because he says, I will take you where truth is not just an intellectual uh, abstract concept, but I will take you where you can be embraced by truth, loved by truth, uh, like a bridegroom. Now, here's the thing. For the bishop... The truth is merely something he thinks about. For his friend, the resident of heaven, truth is a person to be loved. Those are fundamentally different. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, because our, the book of Proverbs, in our passage and in the passage that follows it, makes something of the same point. Our passage imagines wisdom as this brilliant woman and part of the point of this passage is this. You will never adequately grasp what wisdom is all about in the book of Proverbs and throughout the scripture as long as you think of it merely as a mental activity. You have to imagine wisdom differently from that. You've got to imagine wisdom as a relationship. You have to imagine wisdom as a 3D person who can love you and whom you can love. And until you understand and think of it, wisdom that way, you'll never understand it deeply. So that's what we're going to talk about. Wisdom, the wisdom of God, 
is a relationship of love. That's what I want to show you. And I want to show you that in three points. First of all, wisdom is someone who pursues us. Secondly, wisdom is someone who can be trusted. And lastly, wisdom is someone who gives all that she is to us. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, wisdom is someone who pursues us. Look at verse 1. And picture the scene as we go. Does not wisdom call? You could put a, a capital W there. Uh, does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights and beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Now, pause. Imagine the picture. You have to picture uh, wisdom uh, as this woman who is standing at the city gates, right at rush hour. And this woman is brilliant, she is capable, she is engaging, and she is articulate. And during rush hour, uh, just all the people are coming by, entering the city for work. And she begins to speak. And she's not trying to show off. What's going on is that her brilliance is being united with compassion. She's looking at these people going into the city, and she wants the best for these people, and therefore she speaks. Look at verse 4. To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Now go back to the scene. So she sees a, a, a bunch of a bunch of guys walking into the city, and, um, and, and it ends up that they're not the, the, the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, and they're, they're, they're fools. They're simple. And she specifically reaches out to these folks. And her aim is to give them something that she has and that they could never develop on their own. She reaches out and pursues them in order to give them wisdom. But of course, she is wisdom in this image, and therefore she is seeking to give them herself. Now, what I want you to focus on first is this image of wisdom as someone who pursues us. Because this is a fundamentally different uh, image way of thinking than most of us think about wisdom, if we think about wisdom at all. Um, here's why I say that. It's easy to imagine wisdom, if we think about wisdom, as simply a virtue or a skill that we develop, that we develop. Do you know what I mean? It's very, very easy to imagine that wisdom is a set of life skills that are fundamentally the result of my diligent practice and pursuit. So, and we think of this in, in lots of areas of life, right? Um, work hard in school, you were told. Why? Because if you work hard, you'll get good at it, right? It's something you pursue. Work hard at work. Why? Well, because if you work hard at it, you'll get good at it. It's something you pursue. It's a, something you develop. It's about you. Uh, uh, exercise hard, um, and you'll be more fit. Why? Um, because it's it's, it's a skill, it's, an, it's a pursuit that you pursue on your own behalf and therefore reap the benefits of it. Now, we're used to thinking that about that in lots of different areas of our life, and therefore it makes all the sense in the world that when we think about the wisdom of God or Christian wisdom, or that we import this idea that is fundamentally a pursuit that we achieve, we, we sort of import that into this idea. Fundamentally, wisdom 
we think, is a matter of me pursuing it, us working on it, and, and us getting better at it. Now, of course, part of the reason that's so intuitive to us is that there's truth in it, right? Uh, obviously, hard work often produces good results. In fact, Proverbs speaks like that in lots of different places. However, here, Proverbs tells us that that is not an adequate model for understanding the wisdom of God, and here's why. If wisdom is just skill development, if it's something fundamentally that I pursue on my own behalf, then it leaves me always in control. You, you follow? If what matters most is my hard work, then... I am always at the center of the story, which can be attractive because I like being the center of my story and I like being my own hero and I like holding power and I like me. But, but, it also means that if I'm not good at it, then I'll be hopeless. It means that if I find myself to be a fool or, or, or simple, if I don't have what it takes, then I'll never achieve it. And if I do have what it takes, if I think I do, then I'll end up proud. Arrogant or hopeless, that's the end result very often, if it's all about me and what I produce. Here, Proverbs takes that whole concept and turns it on its head and says, wisdom is not something we develop from inside us. Wisdom is someone who seeks us out, who looks at us in the midst of our worst and our folly and our simpletonness, just made that up, and reaches out to us. And it's profoundly humbling but it can also be profoundly hopeful because it means we can be met by wisdom at our worst and be rescued. So, that's the first point. Wisdom is someone who pursues us, not just something we pursue. pursue. Here's the second one, though. Wisdom is someone we can trust. Look at verse 6. And once again, listen to how wisdom talks about truth. Hear, listen, says wisdom, for I will speak noble things, and my lips, and from my lips come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous, and there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Now, pause. Um, if I'm on the subway and I hear somebody yelling at rush hour, saying, listen to me, everybody, listen to me, I've got something to say and you should all trust me. Um, I don't. I don't. Do you? Um, we're suspicious, are we not? Now, for all kinds of reasons, but for all kinds of good reasons. Uh, we all know that people are trying to persuade us all the time of lots of different things, often to sell us something. Um, everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got an angle. And therefore, it's uh, reasonable for us to have our guard up, um, for us to not be gullible. We want to fact check appropriately and all of those sorts of things. However... Our reticence to trust can go further. And there are times where we take our reticence to trust someone else and somebody else's truth claims, and we kind of turn it into a virtue in itself. Do you know what I mean? Um, this is what the bishop does in The Great Divorce. Uh, in, in the conversation with his friend, the bishop now says this. For me... There's no such thing as a final answer. The free wind of inquiry must always continue to blow through the mind, must it not? 
trove all things, for to travel hopefully is better than to arrive at a destination. Now, if you listen to the bishop there, um, wisdom for the bishop is a pursuit of questions, but he does not believe in answers. And part of the reason he doesn't believe in answers is that he is suspicious of any kind of truth claims. He's taken um, appropriate critical thinking and then turned that into something else that's a virtue that he, he, he has named a virtue of questioning all kinds of claims uh, to, any, to, to the, even the existence of truth. And therefore, this bishop remains in perpetual question. He never arrives, and he can't trust anybody but his own, his own thinking at the moment. Now, I point this out because wisdom here in our passage pushes against this. She says very boldly, trust me. All of you guys, trust me, she says. Don't just evaluate my individual insights. Um, trust me, she says boldly, comprehensively, because I won't lead you astray. Now, can you see how bold that is? How can we possibly trust her? Well, consider this. Uh, if you want to know whether or not you should trust somebody, watch how they use their power. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 14. She continues to speak. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. And then watch this. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. Now, look at those verses for a moment, and I want you to see the connection between power, she mentions kings and princes, see that? Power and justice. She mentions justice twice. I believe she mentions justice one more time in the passage. Now, justice in Proverbs is the moral quality that restores order when it's broken down. In other words, justice in Proverbs is when you use power to make things right, particularly for others. Now, that's the sort of power that wisdom in this passage she loves. She, she doesn't love arrogant power. She doesn't love selfish power. Um, she hates that stuff. Verse 13, she hates evil. But she loves power deployed to serve others, power deployed to make things right around her. Now, follow me here. Show me somebody who's willing to use their power for the benefit of others, and I'll show you somebody that, you're, that you should trust. And you should trust their words. Because they're going to use their words, their power of speech, for benefit of others, not in order to coerce, not in order to, to leverage, not in order to, to manipulate. Um, for instance, think about why uh, so many people love the Gettysburg Address. Uh, the Gettysburg Address is a beautiful document, wonderful rhetoric, um, but it, it holds uh, such an important place in kind of the canon of American um, writing, it, it, not just because it's the beauty of its speech, but because it was uttered by somebody who's widely viewed as someone who sought to use power for justice. Now, did he do it perfectly, Lincoln? Of course he didn't. But nevertheless, the fact that his pursuit of 
justice, the use of power in the pursuit of justice, um, lends gravity to his words, even if he failed in some of those pursuits. And now, in this text, this brilliant woman, Wisdom, looks at us and says very boldly, I know you're suspicious of truth claims. I know you're slow to trust. It's as if she says, and you have good reason to be, uh, to question. But nevertheless, she says, I'm different from anyone you've ever spoken to before. In particular, watch how I use my power. I don't use my power for my own benefit. I seek to use my power to restore what is broken. And she looks at us and she says, and I seek to restore what is broken inside you. Therefore, trust me. Take my hand. Take my hand, she says, and trust me, and I will lead you through the questions to the answers that lie beyond. And she looks right in her eyes and she says, by the way, answers do exist. You may not be able to find them, but I can take you there. Come with me. Trust me. Wisdom is someone who pursues us. Wisdom, secondly, is someone we can trust and demonstrated by how she uses power. And thirdly and finally, wisdom is someone who gives all that she is to us. Look at these verses. I'm going to uh, skip around just a little bit and just watch the generosity of wisdom. For instance, look at verse 11. She says, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you desire cannot compare with her. Now, what she's saying there is, your desires are not adequate to the gifts that I want to give you. Then, think about that generosity. Then look at verse 21 and look for the generosity there. Wisdom says, I grant an inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasuries. Now there, she's saying, love me and I will write you into my will. I'll make you part of the family, and the family has got a great inheritance. Generosity. And then finally, look at verse 17. Not only does she give things, but she gives herself. I love those who love me. Now put all of that together. Wisdom here is giving not just things or insights or skills, she's giving herself. She's giving herself to us in love, the love of a family. She says, I give you my very best gifts because I give you myself. And this is where it seems to me that, that Proverbs just sort of breaks all the rules because as I read this and I study this passage, it's as if uh, Proverbs' vision for wisdom just doesn't fit within any of our expectations. It's just a bigger vision. It just doesn't fit inside a skill set. It doesn't fit inside inside just mere intellectual insights. It's something bigger. And the best way I know to say it from this passage is that, wis is that truth and wisdom in the scripture is not just something you own and you get. It's someone who loves you. It's a bond of love and relationship. And I hope you can begin to feel the joy of that. And to be allured by that. Emmanuel, you will never give yourself fully to the life of the wisdom of God until you know yourself to be an object of wisdom's affection, love. Can you even imagine what that is like? And I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, wait a second, Jim. You're overreading here. 
you're overreading here. This is called a metaphor. Uh, in particular, it's called a personification. Can you say that after me, Jim? Personification. Um, and you should have learned about that in freshman year of English. Yes, I, I know, but not so fast. Because, of course, you're right. Woman wisdom in Proverbs is a metaphor. She's uh, a personification of an aspect of the character of God. However, in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, do you remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and made its dwelling among us, and we have seen him and beheld his glory, the glory of the one and the only. John, the apostle in the New Testament, is talking about Jesus there. And all through Christian history, Christians have read Proverbs 8, and they have pushed back from their desk, and they have taken off their glasses at some point, and they have realized with a kind of weight of glory upon them that what is metaphorical in the book of Proverbs becomes literal in the face of Jesus Christ. So that we have understood that Jesus is wisdom who pursues us because he left heaven and came and sought us out in our folly, not because we were achieving, but because we needed him. And Jesus is wisdom who can be trusted completely because he used his power in the pursuit of justice. In particular, he used his power when he died upon the cross in order to heal our brokenness. And not only is Jesus wisdom that can be trusted, Jesus is wisdom who gives all that he is to us. In particular, he writes us into his will so that we can be adopted into the family of God and call God Father along with Jesus Christ. He gives all that he is to us, and that's why he asks all that we are in return. Now, do you, can you see why I say that wisdom, particularly when you know Jesus Christ, wisdom is a relationship of love beyond anything else? And that's what the Anglican bishop in The Great Divorce just can't understand. Because at the critical moment, the friend invites the bishop, and he says, won't you stay? You don't have to go back. This could not end up being a field trip. This could be your new home. Stay. And the bishop looked at him, and he says, I'll think about it. If I have certain assurances, I might consider it. For instance, I, I need to make sure that my insights will be useful. I need to make sure that I can keep control of my life, that I can be the center of my story, because I'm very skillful, let's face it and insightful, and that's just honest. And his friend looks at him and says, you are missing the point. No, I can promise you none of these things. No sphere of, of usefulness because you're not needed here. No scope for your talents, only forgiveness for having perverted them. No atmosphere for inquiry, for I take you to the land not of questions but of answers, and there you shall see the face of God. And that's what wisdom is about. Wisdom is ultimately about seeing the face of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Wisdom is a relationship of love. Do you know that? Three implications, three responses. First, if wisdom really is seeking you, let yourself get caught. It's very easy to sit here uh, with Jesus kind of right at arm's length, uh, evaluating, considering, neither uh, rejecting nor fully surrendering to him. Let me say this, Jesus is standing at the center of the city, 
and he is looking at you and he is calling you by name and he's saying, I came and I have pursued you. Consent to it. He's not trying to capture you, he's trying to liberate you. Won't you? Secondly, if wisdom really is trustworthy, then be humble enough to trust Jesus even when his teachings differ from what you expect to be the case. When you find Jesus' teachings coming into tension with your own expectations or intuitions of what you think should be true, if you can really, really trust Jesus, then, then cultivate a posture that defaults to listening to him. I'm not saying don't, be, don't think hard, don't ask hard questions, do, but default to trusting him more than you trust yourself. And lastly, if wisdom gives all that she is to us in Jesus Christ, then ask Jesus to synchronize your desires with his gifts. Verse 11 says uh, that wisdom uh, has more to give than fit inside your desires. And therefore, if that's true, we need to ask Jesus to enlarge our desires and focus our desires where true joys are to be found. And we all know that true joys are found in relationship. That's true in this life, but it's also true in eternal life. And Jesus wants to bring you into that living, joyful relationship. Ask him to sharpen your desires to that end. Because that's where wisdom is alluring us, Emmanuel. Wisdom says this to us. I will bring you to where you shall taste truth like honey and be embraced by it as by a bridegroom, and there your thirst shall be quenched. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.